Well, please turn, if you would, in your copy of God's Holy Word to Psalm 119. This is our Psalm of the Month, uh, this portion is. Our portion will be the second portion, Bet, which is Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. If you're new to the congregation or visiting, uh, the Psalms are the inspired praise book of the Christian church. And the Apostle says we are to sing with the understanding also in, um, in the epistle. And so we come to hear a psalm preached once a month that we may better understand how to sing with the understanding. So let us turn to Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, as we come to this portion of God's word. And let us hear now the word of the living God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word to us. Let's pray. O gracious God of heaven, we come to the word of God, a word that must be proclaimed. And so we pray that thou wouldst help the minister preach faithfully now. May the minister preach the word, even as this psalm says that he is with his lips to declare all the judgments of the mouth of God. Help him do so. Give him the spirit of the Lord that this may be done. And we pray, though, most of all for all of us in this congregation that this would be a time in which we would desire and long to hide the word of God in our heart, that we would not sin against thee. O Lord, this is our desire, and make the preaching of the word effectual to such a holy end. And so we pray, Father, open thou our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, our psalm before us deals with heart religion. It deals with heart religion. Heart religion in view of the blessedness of God himself. You know, the Christian's heart is meant to be taken up with God. Seeing God as ever blessed, as we see in the middle of our portion, blessed art thou, O Lord. The Christian says in view of the blessedness of God, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When we see the glory of God, the beauty of God, the blessedness of God, in view of that, the Christian finds no desire for sin. For in view of the blessedness of God, the Christian's heart understands to sin is to sin against the most perfect, radiant, beautiful, majestic being of all. And the Christian has no desire for that. And what the Christian does is he or she hides the word of God then in their heart because their heart's affection is for God. And they find that hiding the word of God in the heart is the very best remedy for sin. 
to the point where the Word of God molds the mind, it molds the affection, it molds the walk, it molds the mouth, because the heart has been transformed. And that's why you read through Psalm 119, Psalm 19, other places, that the commandments of God are the joy of the Christian, for in the keeping of them is great reward. That reward is primarily this, a deeper and more blessed enjoyment of God himself. Yet today, in contemporary evangelicalism, you know, keeping the commandments is often a dirty word. It's a bad word. You know, a long time ago, I spoke to a co-worker about the blessedness of the law of God, and it was almost like he had heart palpitations, and he started to get very nervous and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. He bucked against that. It's almost as though I brought him directly to Mount Sinai without Jesus Christ as mediator. And yes, the commandments without Christ as mediator, as a rule of justification, to be saved by the keeping of the commandments is a dreadful thing. But in Christ, as a rule for life, by which the born-again believer looks at the commandments as the way of liberty, then they become the heart's joy of the Christian. And that rule and how we treat the law of God springs forth out of 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not what? Grievous. They're not grievous to the Christian. In fact, they are the heart desire of the Christian who has a heart desire for God. And the psalmist here knows what 1 John 5, 3 says. There is a high motive for keeping the commandments. The very same motive that Jesus himself gave. If ye love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. And so as we are enraptured with the ever-blessed God, we know him as ever-blessed, we will keep his commandments where they ought to be, which is in the heart. So it begins with a meditation on who God is, which then leads to the heart wanting to know the ways of God, this blessed God, because his ways are blessed. And then the heart is changed by all of that. So with that to orient our minds and order our affections, our theme is treasuring the word in our heart that we would not sin against God. Treasuring the word in our heart that we would not sin against God. And we'll divide our time under three heads on your bulletin. First is blessed God, second is blessed soul, and third is blessed way. So first, blessed God, and we will spend most of our time here because we need to understand the blessedness of God if we are to understand the heart of the psalm here. So before we do that, let's get some context as we return to Psalm 119 after a month. Now you remember this is the great psalm that extols the word of God. It reminds us, this is the longest chapter, children. And so it reminds of the Bible. So it reminds us of the primary place the Word of God is to have in the Christian's life. It in itself summarizes all the other Psalms, while the Psalms summarize the entirety of the Bible. And so you have a summary of a summary of the Bible in one place for you, children. And uh, we remember it was meant to be memorized, the entirety of the Psalm, even for young children, due to its acrostic nature. Each of the 22 portions, beginning with a, a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, sequentially. And uh, each line in the Hebrew actually begins with that very same letter. So in our portion, every line begins with the Hebrew word bet. And so it's meant to be memorized. 
It's meant to be kept close in the heart. And there are many children, even today in the Christian church, who memorize the entirety of this psalm. And this is why even you think about the the very first verse here that we're considering, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a what man, young man, cleanse his way? You see, there is something here for this psalm, especially we'll consider this in the last heading, for the youthful. This entire psalm is meant to be memorized by the Christian uh, if you are able to. You know, I I will just say this is a very profitable psalm to keep in your heart and your mind. I cannot tell you the number of times I'll be working on a sermon text totally disassociated and there'll be a verse from Psalm 119 that'll just pop to mind by the Holy Spirit because this is a very and most comprehensive psalm for the entirety of the Christian life. That said, the sections of this psalm, these 22 sections, can defy an attempt to create singular themes. As one divine said, it's a series of golden rings rather than golden chains. In that way, that's very much like the Proverbs. A lot of times you'll have disassociated, really wonderful nuggets of great and glorious thoughts, but not necessarily where you can create a whole theme out of a section. Um, And the entire psalm is notable that in all but, I believe, two verses, God is referred to by the psalmist. In all but two verses, Uh, It's saturated with high and lofty thoughts of God. Either God is addressed in prayer or God is spoken of directly. Now, we would also be remiss to neglect that this is the very word of Christ. Colossians 3.16 makes that very clear. This is the word of Christ. And he of all men, of all men sang this psalm with no hypocrisy. You know, sometimes you come to this psalm and you go, how can I truthfully sing that I have longed for the word of God, that I have hid it in my heart, that I would not sin against thee, so on and so forth. You say, there's part of me that's like that, but not all of me. Though our desire ought to be that all of me would be that way. Well, we sing without hypocrisy because we sing in Christ. And he is the one who has sung this. He has not only inspired it, he has sung it. And we who are saved are in him. He is our righteousness. And so as one one minister puts it, it's as though Christ's mouth is in our mouth when we sing. And so we find that he is singing here with us. His heart is also our heart when we are at our very best. And so we only sing this psalm without the guilt of hypocrisy if we are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, This word will condemn you, won't it, friend? It'll condemn you as you sing it, because these things are not true of you. Only Christ can say these things of a truth. And so if we are to sing it, you think of how many unconverted have sung this song. That, That is going to be a judgment on them, because these things aren't true of them. But to those of us who are in Christ, we find our blessedness, and that He is our righteousness. Well, in... The last portion of Psalm 119, again for review, verses 1 through 8, the Aleph portion, we had considered the blessedness of walking in the law of the Lord. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. And so now coming into the second portion, we consider how to walk well in that way. In other words, how can we have success in walking in the way of the Lord, in the law of God? The psalmist says, taking heed, but also to hide the word of God in the heart. That's the only way you can walk well with the Lord. It's to hide the word of God in the heart. In view of that, I want to begin with verse 12 rather than verse 9. 
which says, Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. We begin with it because it is the psalmist's perspective on God that drives him inexorably to the word of what? God. You see, you can't separate the word from God. And it is the psalmist's perspective on God that drives him to the word of God. And what does he know about God in verse 12? That God is ever blessed. This concept, this truth, reminds us of who God is. To say, blessed art thou, O Lord, is to recognize that Jehovah is completely and fully satisfied, perfectly happy in himself, the only perfect being that there is or can be. He needs nothing of us. He needs nothing of you. He does not need you to sing this psalm in order to be blessed. He is blessed in himself. He needs no creation to find self-satisfaction. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, these three being one, eternally and everlastingly blessed before he ever said, let there be light. He was satisfied. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, they find their blessedness in themselves. They don't find their blessedness in you and in me. Now that might strike at your ego, but fine. They don't find their blessedness in you. They find their blessedness in themselves. He does not need me in order to be happy. Sooner we get to that point, the better our Christian walk will be. Doesn't need you, doesn't need me to be happy. He is happy because he is in himself perfection. God cannot contemplate anything greater or more perfect than himself, and neither can you or me. And so he is ever blessed. This is the concept we must know. He delights in himself. Now, for us to take that kind of delight in ourselves would be sinful. Right? Because we are not perfection. We are not glorious. We are humble. We are creatures of the dust. We are sinners, worst of all. But for God to delight in himself, that is righteous. In actuality, for him not to delight in himself would be sinful and he would cease to be God. There is nothing higher than himself to contemplate for his own happiness. Again, before he ever said, let there be light, he was happy and delighted in himself. And after the fall of man, he was still happy and he was still delighted in himself. Because the creation cannot add to his happiness, nor was it created to add to his happiness, for that is not possible. And you see here as well that the psalmist uses the divine name Jehovah, which is Lord in all caps in our translation, in connection with the blessedness of God, knowing that he is I am that I am, showing the self-existence and self-perfection of God that he blesses. And so mark this well and understand this rightly. When we bless the name of God, we are not adding to his blessedness. We're just recognizing it. We just recognize it. And that is, that is our righteousness if we would do so. Right? We are required to admit that he is ever blessed. In many ways, um, this is the demarcation between unbeliever and believer. In many ways. Um, The believer sees God as ever blessed and perfection. God as he is in the Bible, and the unbeliever does not. 
and the unbeliever despises the true God of the Bible. And so the psalmist then, understanding and seeing the perfection of God, has no desire to sin against him. So boys and girls, think of how heinous it would be to sin against one who is so perfect, who is so blessed, who is so satisfying, right? Why would we bless again? Uh, uh, why would we sin rather one who is so blessed? And that's really where the psalmist's heart is. You know, if you sin against a wicked man, that is still wrong. But it is far worse to sin against a good man, isn't it? And how heinous it is to then sin against ever-blessed God. It's wicked. Absolutely wicked. Now, on the other hand, we also have to understand the concern of the psalmist right. We said that blessing the name of God does not add to his blessedness. We also have to understand that sinning against God cannot and will not diminish God's blessedness either. That's not his concern, that if I sin against God, God will somehow be less happy. But you might ask the question, how then can sin, can evil that we commit not diminish God's blessedness? Well, the answer to that is that he turns what is wicked and works it to holy ends such that even our sin is turned to holy ends. And so God is always satisfied and God is never, never frustrated because he turns even the the aim of the wicked into holy ends. You remember children, Joseph's brothers did what was wicked, but God meant that for good. And so God is ever blessed, right? God was not frustrated at the wickedness of Joseph's brothers, Instead, he remains perfectly happy knowing the full end of these things is righteousness, ultimately. Um, He has holy ends. You think of Christ himself at the cross. What wicked men purposed for evil, he was nailed by the hands of wicked men, God purposed for our salvation. And so God is ever blessed. No man can diminish his blessedness. Nor will he leave any injustice, any sin, unpunished. All sins will be called to account. And so God is satisfied in that, isn't he? He knows that wickedness and evil will not win the day. All that is evil will be punished. And he is satisfied. He is happy. Either, and this comes to you personally, doesn't it? Either you will personally pay your debt in hell to God, and he'll be satisfied with that. Or God has placed your sin debt on the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And God is satisfied in that. And so the question is, for you yourself, where is your sin debt going to be paid? At Calvary's cross or in hell forever? Salvation is by faith in the Lord Jesus. You put your trust in him. Blessed are you, the Bible says. And what an astonishment that God was pleased, as the scripture said, to lay the iniquity of us all on him, all of us who believe, and see how God is even satisfied in that. And God is happy to have put our sin, our evil on Christ, and he is ever blessed God. But I want you to think on this then, on the doctrine of hell. Hell itself is necessary in order to maintain the doctrine of God being ever blessed. Because sin must be punished. He is satisfied that all sin will be punished and taken care of. No hell, no blessedness to God. Blessedness to God and in a world of sin requires hell. Hell is a consequence. 
of God's blessedness. You know, even when we consider God's wrath, then it is properly outside of himself. It is, does not affect him. It's not like we often do where we get so grossly upset and sinfully angry. No, his wrath, the way of speaking of condescending to us is a manifestation outwardly of his perfect justice. And that's what the wrath of God is. His wrath does not unsettle him and it does not remove his happiness, his blessedness in himself. It's not an internal unhappiness in other ways. Uh, in other words, that moves God to justice. It's like, oh, Satan shouldn't have done that. I guess I'll have to deal with it. No, he says, Satan has sinned against me and he will be punished. Perfectly satisfied with it. Nothing unsettles God. Romans 9, 5 reminds us he is God blessed overall forever. Amen. However, what we must do as the creatures, as we've considered the blessedness of God, is to appreciate the infinite blessedness of God. And then, as I've said earlier, drive us to see the great abomination that sin is. That sin is against ever-blessed God. That this altogether lovely being is not to be sinned against. And that's where our heart ought to be. That is where our heart ought to be. This is what moves Joseph, isn't it? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Doesn't care about Potiphar. Doesn't care about the lust that was before him. All he can see is ever blessed God and say, how can I do this great wickedness against God? It ought, we ought to get to the point in our Christian life where the thought of sinning against God would turn our stomach. That's where we need to be, children. That is what you and I must come to contemplate and realize through a meditation of God himself. We have to contemplate who God is or else sin becomes nothing to us. The psalmist says the very same as Joseph did in verse 11. Why has he hidden God's word in his heart? that I might not sin against thee. And then he connects it to the blessedness of God in the very next verse. We'll return to that thought in our next heading. But the notion of knowing that God is ever blessed is vital for you and me because of this other fact, which is that he is the root and the source of all blessedness that you yourself may possess. We are truly satisfied. How will you be truly satisfied? When you are satisfied in the one who is satisfied in himself. That is the only way to be satisfied, children of God. Everything else is vanity. Go look at the junkyard sometime. Treasures that people had and thought was going to make them happy. Now it's just garbage. The food that we thought would make us happy expelled out of the body. We have to find our satisfaction solely in God himself or else we will find no satisfaction. And the way that that begins is to recognize these two truths. First of all, brethren, he doesn't need you to be satisfied. But second, and this is more important. See, I think sometimes we get uh, crushed in that. He does, God doesn't need me. And I, I hope in this congregation that we already think that way. But what we may not think is he gives himself to us that we might find our blessedness in him. See, this is the blessedness of God. He gives what we need to have happiness. He doesn't need us to add to his happiness, but he gives to us of himself. What else, what else will in any way 
um, teach you about the incarnation. He gives himself in the Lord Jesus Christ that we might find every blessing. That's the glory of God, and that's remarkable to us, that we might find our full satisfaction in him. Ephesians 1.13, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. There it is, right? We blessing God and finding our blessedness in him in one verse. Memorably in the second Psalm, Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Right? We find our blessedness in trusting God. Psalm 34, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. The Bible is replete with these kinds of verses, showing you that if you want to be satisfied, you must find it in God. You must know who God is out of the word of God, not your own imaginary thoughts of God, but who he truly is. Why could Joseph after fleeing that great wickedness, be happy in a prison cell because his satisfaction is in God. The same sentiment that said, how can I then do this great evil and sin against God would make him happy in a jail cell, waiting on God. The same for the Apostle Paul. The same for the martyrs and the confessors of the faith. The same has to be true for you and for me. Find our satisfaction in the one that is satisfied in himself because there is nothing better to be satisfied in and you will always be satisfied. Is there a famine? You'll be satisfied in him. All your friends and family abandon you. You'll be satisfied in him, knowing he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Your marriage, what it, not, uh, what it ought not to be, you'll be satisfied in him, your bridegroom. Your nation going off the rails, my satisfaction is in the Lord. In every way, you will be settled. And so in view of the blessedness of God, the psalmist then says, isn't this proper? Fuse to it in verse 12. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. See, if you understand his view of God, then suddenly you understand why he wants to sit at the feet of the Lord and why he says, teach me thy statute, O blessed one, in which I can find all my happiness. That's the connection here. And I'd like to draw out a few more, maybe a couple with our time. The first is that any contemplation of ever-blessed God adds to our own blessedness. This is one of the ways that he adds to our happiness, is to contemplate him. Not what necessarily he can do for you, but him as he is. A contemplation of God will add to your blessedness. Contemplating him, meditating him, beholding him will make you more blessed. You know, that's very different from social media's version of hashtag blessed, right? Which is usually I have this thing, now that thing makes me happy. And then I have to chase the next bigger version of that thing because I'm done being satisfied with that thing. Whereas what truly makes the man or woman of God blessed is to contemplate God who cannot be exhausted. Even the stuff that you do have, and you are to praise God for it, you must reflect, is a cont- must make you contemplate God's goodness, right? Like what I have, even the word that is before me, is a manifestation of the goodness of God. And so it turns quickly into a contemplation of God himself, who gives good things as a father from heaven. You know, the root of discontentment is not seeing that blessed God gave me the blessing. And that turns our contemplation 
from God himself to things. But it is God who blesses us. You know, even the angels in heaven, they find their blessedness in contemplating God. Matthew 18.10, that in heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. This is the blessedness of the angels, that they behold the face of God. On Wednesday night, we considered, albeit briefly, the beatific vision. You know, it's that sight of God that makes us blessed in eternity. What is it that will make you blessed? It's your sight of God, not gold-paved roads, not that kind of thing. It's your sight of God, contemplating God. Whatever else we enjoy, we must never divorce it from contemplating God. The root of our satisfaction is God satisfied in himself. God himself will make us most satisfied. If you read the best of the patristic writers and the reformed writers, it was contemplating and meditating God on God himself that shines forth in their writing. And that is why they seem so different from you and me. They're often thinking on God as he is, his attributes, his works, his perfections, what the implications are of his being. Not just polemical writings, but their writings contemplate God. Why are men and women taken up by Augustine, for instance? Oh, it's it's his high and lofty view of God. It's how he expresses who God is out of the scripture that compels us and captivates us. Who God was to the man. Who God can be to us. That's why we love the Psalms. They're rich contemplations of God, not surface level ditties. Well then, that leads us, as the, as the psalmist does, to contemplate the statutes of God. For if they arise out of ever-blessed God, then his commandments are blessed. Because after adoring God, the psalmist desires God's statutes. Because the way of God is a way to our own satisfaction and blessedness. You know, your wisdom and mine too is to recognize that sin will never add to your blessedness. It will only diminish from it. Hebrews 11, as you remember, reveals Moses' wisdom that the pleasures of sin are for a season. For a season, they are temporary, and then afterward, if you've been a Christian any length of time, great regret, great misery, great trouble come. The pleasure is for a season. It's here and gone. But the way of the Lord no man has ever regretted. No Christian has ever gone to deathbed and said, you know what, I wish I hadn't followed the law of God more closely. Never. Because the way of the Lord is blessed. And the one who keeps the statutes of God will be satisfied in them. There is great reward, as we'll get to, uh, I believe, in the next portion of Psalm 119 next month. And so we never divorce the commandments from the blessedness of God. That is why Jesus said, if you have contemplated me and you love me, keep my commandments. Right? They will be no burden to you if you contemplate the God who gives them. Well, without those foundations set, let us turn to our second heading, which is blessed soul. Now it's plain to see that the psalmist has a desire and a panting in this psalm, for heart religion. He does not maintain a few assorted facts and figures about the Lord, but rather his religion is where religion ought to be, in the heart. That's where religion has to be. It has to be in the heart. In verse 11, he says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. 
Now, to the Hebrew mind, uh, the heart reflects the whole soul, the inner man. He's not speaking of just the affections. He's speaking of everything that defines the soul. Uh, He includes with it the affections, but also the mind as well. He knows the, the word mentally, and that mental knowledge is also buried in the affections as well. There's no partition, and there ought not be for you either, between mind and heart. They ought to be in lockstep one with another. What is in the mind must also drive what is in the heart. And it uh, is his contemplation of God that has led to this heart religion. He addresses God, as you see. He tells God his motivation for, his, uh, for keeping the commandments, that I might not sin against thee. Now, mark this well. He doesn't say, not, he doesn't say that I might not sin, period. He says that I might not sin against thee. See, it's always in relation to his God that sin is in view. And so the more that we know God, of course, then the, the less we'll want to sin. Because I have no desire to sin against ever-blessed God. He loves his God. He adores his God. He does not want to sin against his God. And that's where the soul is so necessary to condition with contemplations of God. Because that is what will keep you from sinning against him. It, it will even say, as you adore, adore God, it will drive you to the word of God to say, now I want to know from the word of God how to not sin against such a gracious God. Verse 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. You know, he says his whole soul, his whole heart seeks after God. Is this not what Jesus said is the greatest commandment after all? Right, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind. This is exactly what the psalmist is saying. Again, Jesus teaches in so many ways. He's not teaching anything new. He's just saying what the Bible has always said plainly, clearly to us. It's fitting in this because Jesus, of course, is the very embodiment of Psalm 119. He is the one with his whole heart that has sought after God. And you also note in verse 10, the psalmist, when he, he pleads this way, is asking for divine grace. He prays that he not wander from the commandments. This is key and this is critical. It's not often done to pray to the Lord. This is another reason so many find the commandments a burden. Because they don't ask for help in the keeping of them. You keep them by God's grace. Not only do we view them in relation to enjoying God, but we also ask God for help in keeping them. And so maybe you just ask the question now, when was the last time I asked God for help? When did I last ask God for help in keeping the commandments of God? Not saying, God, right? Oh, I failed again. Yes, very good. Confess that. Help me, O Lord. Help me. As desperate as anyone has been in the Bible. Desperate as Rachel was to Jacob, that her womb be open. In these ways, you are to be desperate before God. What a prayer that God delights to answer when you ask him to keep the commandments. Now, there's another area of divine grace. I'll just stay on that theme briefly as you, seek, uh, as you are to seek God and his commandments. Verse 12b, teach me thy statutes. See, he doesn't just come to the word of God. 
Right? He doesn't come just to the Word of God and open the Bible and start going and reading as quickly as he can. He comes and says, the Holy Spirit must be my instructor out of the Word of God. When you come to the Scripture, don't come to it like other books. You come to it knowing it is a spiritual work. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we need the inward illumination of the Spirit upon the words of God to have any fruition of it. That's why we often pray, as we will see next month in verse 18. And I prayed before the preaching. Open thou mine eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. It's a spiritual work coming to the word of God, and we don't often approach it that way. Don't rush into your Bible reading without prayer, in other words. You, you would be so blessed if you pray in faith that the Spirit would minister to you in the Word of God. And then the Bible doesn't become a dead book to you, but alive, living, and active, discerning the thoughts and intents of your own heart. And you would behold wondrous things about your ever-blessed God. You would know God better, not just His commandments. You would know His promises. You would know His love. You would know his wisdom. You would know his care. You would know his entreaties to men, your duty, and so on as well. And in addition, what you find here is that the word of God is the psalmist's joy, as it should be to us. Consider verses 14 to 16. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Throughout the Bible, God tells us that his word is to be as treasure to us. Right? I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. You know, let me just ask the question. Somebody dump a million dollars before you. Will you have more joy in that than to have this? What are the true riches? And will God entrust them to you? You know, greater than all the riches of the earth is this book. You know, the, it is tradition. I don't know how much they even believe this anymore. But you know that when the moderator of the Church of Scotland comes to the new king, just as he did recently, um, at the inauguration, a Bible is presented. And you remember the words, they're, they're beautiful, though I don't know if the Church of Scotland believes it anymore. The charge to the king is, Sir, to keep you ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, receive this book. And what are the words? The most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Now, those are wondrous words that we are to take to heart. They come straight out of the scripture, as you see. But that is what the scripture is to be to us, that the king of England has nothing more valuable than the humble Bible that he may have been presented. Nothing, nothing more. And may he take it up and read. Well, from the joy he has of the word, the psalmist gives himself two resolutions. We've talked about resolutions before. Here are two that he, uh, he has and ones we ought to embrace in order to glorify God and to enjoy him. The first is meditation, and the second is memorization. I'm going to begin with memorization first. Verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. You see, 
A desire for memorizing the word comes after a resolution to delight yourself in God's word. Uh, Sometimes what may be a help to you is to do what the psalmist does here first before we talk about memory. Why don't you make a resolution to delight in the word of God? Notice this, he brings his soul under control. And he says, I will delight myself in thy statutes. Because understandably so, the flesh does not delight in the word of God. And so he brings his soul under control. He says, oh my soul, delight in the statutes. But then, if you delight in them, why would you want to forget it? Why would you want to forget what you delight in? There's much to delight in the word of God. Wisdom and equity and blessing are are found in the statutes of the Lord. The sureness, when we talk about the theme of walking in this world, that they provide for us, one will never, never second-guess their conduct in this world if they are following the word of God. No matter the consequence, no matter what happens, you will never have to say, should I have done this or that or the other thing? You'll be very sure. Great blessedness. Well, he resolves to delight in it. Whatever we delight in, let the delight of God and his ordinances be primary. And so, this is why the next part of verse 16 is follows easier. I will not forget thy word. You know, some of you, it's very plain to understand what you delight in. Some of you can quote almost verbatim whole seasons of television shows and movies, right? But you cannot give very much of the scripture. And that would tell you what you delight in. What is it you delight in? You would keep it close to your heart. You'd keep it close to your mouth. Take delight in the word of God and make the language of Zion become the language of your tongue. You know, we need to have a program of scripture memory. All of us do. Because we're to commit the scripture to our hearts, to meditate on it at a moment's notice. Brethren, you do not know when this Bible may be taken from you. Many of our brethren across the world have that problem. Um, you don't know even when your faculties may go away, when you might be blind and, and, and uh, deaf, and you won't be even able to externally receive the word of God the same way. Where are you going to keep the word of God so that it may minister to you and you may know your God? It must be kept in the heart. You know, I recently spoke to a sister whose family came from Eastern Europe. She said a couple of generations ago, you know, old country, right? A couple of pastors her family knew were thrown into prison, as you remember the Soviet Union and those days of atheism. But she said that they had prepared for this day and had committed enough of the Bible in their memory so that between the two of them in prison, they could reconstruct the scriptures. Isn't that astonishing? So that they could hide the word of God in their heart. Some of us, if thrown in prison, could only reconstruct our favorite television show and not the word of God. And what a shame that will be. That will never minister to you, friend. But not only is the scripture to be memorized, it must be meditated upon. If you see meditation on the scripture as a contemplation of God, a means to behold Jesus Christ, Son of God, the word incarnate, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? We would long to meditate on the Word because we would behold God and contemplate Christ. That's the resolve in verse 15. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect or contemplate. That word is contemplate thy ways. 
You know, if you're not meditating as well as memorizing, your walk is unlikely to change. Meditation must be the fruit of your memory work. You must think on the word. You must uh, speak it to yourself over and over again. You know, it's one thing to memorize a text like, I exhort therefore, and I'm just choosing this because I prayed before, this, uh, before the sermon. I exhort therefore, right, that uh, first of all, supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and uh, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and uh, honesty, First Timothy. 2, 1 through 2. Now, children, you may have memorized that very well, but when you think on it, when you meditate on it, when you ponder it, when you contemplate it in your mind and in your soul, then your walk is transformed. And then you start to pray. You say, oh, my soul, it is good to lead a quiet and peaceable life. It is good to honor the king. It is good to uh, have peace in this world. And this is a great reason to pray. I will pray for my president. I will pray for my Congress. I will pray for my courts. I will pray for all men as well, because this is what I desire for nation, home, and life. And now what do you do? You're drawn to sweet times in prayer. It's not just memorizing it. It is contemplating the statutes of the Lord. Memory, meditation, and then marching in the way of the Lord. These are the ways that we ought to go. And that's the aim of heart religion to ingest the word into the soul so that you may walk with God as Enoch walked with God. Cultivate that, friends. You know, showing up to church today, going to read your Bible daily even, profits you nothing unless your heart yearns for the God of the word. Well, not only will you memorize and meditate, but your mouth will change as well. Verse 13, with my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. You know, instead of coarse and crass and worldly things, you will speak God's word. You will speak, as we have often said, the language of Zion. If it's in the heart and mind, if it's always there, how will it not? You know, those of you who have the savor of Christ, you speak scriptural phrases all the time, don't you? Without being obnoxious, you know, some people are like, okay, here's chapter, verse, chapter, verse, chapter, verse. But it's the language of the Bible that just oozes out of us as we speak. And that's what we need to cultivate. It's natural, it's not force. Of course, this verse too, don't have time for it, speaks of Christ most of all who declares the word of God. Well, time being scarce, let's turn to our final heading, Blessed Way, and we'll be briefer here. Well, with all that, we return to the beginning of this portion of the psalm, considering the opening question in verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? The sense is, how can a young man keep his way clean and pure? What is the secret to the question? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. To keep the word of God. To be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of it. Uh, the word in Psalm 119.105 is to be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. To memorize the word so that you have light in the way you ought to go, to meditate upon the word, to bring it into the situations we face in life, right? A, a meditation on the word brings the word into your present circumstance. And it teaches you how you ought to go. Also to dive into the word, to constantly dive into what it says. You know, you have a very large Bible, children, 66 books of Holy Scripture. How much is there to glean until glory? You'll find commandments, 
to show you how to walk in the world. You find examples and narratives to illuminate the commandments. You find promises to hold on to uh, in the trials of this world. You find threatenings that keep you on the narrow way to glory. And you find God himself to contemplate. You know, those who struggle as Christians almost always have the same struggle. Almost always. Which is not enough of the word of God in their diet. You know, it's, it's, it's almost, I don't want to say laughably, but it's almost laughably predictable if you come and speak to me. Um, oftentimes it's the case that there just isn't enough word. I'm not saying always, but many times it's because there isn't a steady diet in the word of God. Not enough memory, maybe, but certainly not enough meditation and not enough contemplation of God. You know, the Bible doesn't have a bunch of little life verses for you to hang around the house. There are means of contemplating and following God. That changes everything when you see it that way. And then the word takes root and brings forth a hundredfold increase. Now, as I said, I would get to it later. You may have noted the psalmist speaks of the young man. How can a young man cleanse his way? Now, the reason for that is the young among you are in greater need to know how to walk in this world. Young people, this psalm is especially speaking of you and to you particularly. Children, there are many, many temptations that will make you want to veer off of the straight and narrow path that leads to glory. You have many temptations because wide is the way that leads to destruction. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Matthew 7.13, let us never forget that. Let us never forget that, brethren, especially children. Your heart is very prone to walk in the ways that lead to destruction. Your flesh will seek the things that are not good, You will want relationships with people that you must never, ever grow close to. Certainly not in sinful relationships, but even friendship-wise. You will have things in this world, especially as you leave your parents' home, that will call out to you with great allurements to draw you away from Christ. Drugs, lasciviousness, unclean things to put before your eyes. If you're far enough away from your parents, you'll have the temptation to not even show up at church eventually. There are many temptations that come among young people. There are entertainments and amusements and excess, inordinate seeking after the pleasures of this world. On and on and on I could go. But what is the remedy to all of that? To remember the God of your youth. To say, blessed art thou, O God, and to revere him today and cleave unto him as thy life. At a young age, love the Lord thy God. See his blessedness. Parents, teach the blessedness of God and his ways to the young people. Take up the word of God, children, and say, O Lord, teach me thy statutes that I might not sin against thee. Bury Bury the word of God in my heart. Transform my heart by the word of God. May it cause me to love thee, O Lord. Pray fervently, children. Pray for these things. And if you don't pray for these things, pray for the desire to pray for these things. That is the aim of your life, children. Many are the calamities and miseries young people will face by ignoring the word of God. 
You and I think we're just so much smarter, don't we? I, why do I have to follow the word of God? I know better. Things won't turn out so bad. Such has been the way of misery for so many, is to think in these ways. Many are the calamities. And oh, may you always say, how can I do this great evil and sin against my God? That's what will keep your heart, brethren. Well, we might say, all that we have heard is how Christ, our blessed Savior, lived. You know, Christ ever saw God as ever blessed. His desire, we can say of a truth, was to never sin against God. His path was kept, his way was kept pure and clean, though that path led him to the cross. It is because he was pure and clean and never wavered from the commandments of God that when he was nailed on the cross, God saw him as an acceptable sacrifice for our sin. We are saved by our Redeemer's purity. Yes, but let us resolve, united to him, to walk in the way of purity ourselves, because we know our God, his blessedness, and his blessedness most of all shown in giving us Jesus Christ. So as we end, let us remember the words of Christ in Psalm 104. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. May that be true of you and of me too. Amen. Let us arise for prayer if able. Blessed art thou, O God. O Lord, teach us thy statutes. May the word that we have heard even now drive into our hearts. We especially think of the young men and young women among us, that they would take heed, they would keep the word of God. Most especially the word of God that says, look unto me and be saved all ye ends of the earth. May they obey that commandment, for we know the gospel is a command as well as an invitation. And so may all here take up that word and find their blessedness in ever-blessed God. We pray for the backslider who has departed from the way. May they return to the narrow pay, uh, way that leads to everlasting life. We pray as well that those of us who are in the Lord, uh, we would seek diligently to pant and thirst after God. Uh, give us greater contemplations, give us greater sight of God out of the word of God only, that we may desire from the heart to keep the commandments there where they belong, remembering what the Lord Jesus has said, if ye love me, keep my commandments, knowing that these commands are not burdensome to those who are born again. May the Lord bless this portion of his word to us, to our souls. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.